0: the 51st episode of Talking Golf History. Having an affinity for golf's illustrious history helps us listen to the echoes of years past. But what happens when those echoes go bump in the night? Today on our podcast, we're rejoined by historian and author Anthony Pioppi to speak to those things that some of us dare not think of. The history of haunted golf courses. As a lover of the game, it's hard not to imagine not wanting to leave our favorite links in life or even death. Haunting some of your favorite golf clubs wouldn't seem so bad, so long as your favorite set of clubs came with you, and perhaps a haunted golf ball or two to bat around. If you enjoy this podcast, aptly named There Is a Ghost on the Links, please look into purchasing Anthony Piappi's book, Haunted Golf anywhere where you buy books. Without further ado, let's dive into our haunted interview with Anthony Piappi. Anthony, welcome back to Talking Golf History.
1: Thank you. Uh, very nice to be back. Thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, it's been great. So the last time you joined the show, we did a series on golf course architect extraordinaire, Seth Rayner. And since then, I understand that you've had a publisher reach out and you've been kicking the tires on a new book on Seth Raynor and his work, do you have any updates on that potential project? <laughs> we already, uh, we I'm not even going to mention the title of the book. No, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you'll sneak it in there after. I know you will. Um, no, we we're still kicking tires. That's the point. It's it's still uh, uh, up for discussion. It hasn't been ruled out. We just got to figure some things out. You know, as as we all know, Seth Raynor was, as far as we know, was never really quoted. Uh, he never wrote about golf, as far as we know. So. That's the, the gap in the, the gap in his history is understanding him. And the only way to understand him, there's two ways. One is through his work and two is through a couple of Charles Banks interviews where Banks talks about golf holes. And, you know, whatever he learned came from uh, Rayner and McDonald. So, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful on this. I, uh, you know, an optimistic. It's just um, there's a lot of moving parts. It's a weird time in the world for everybody. And, you know, if we go ahead with if we were to go ahead with the book, I'm not doing any traveling.
0: You know, it's funny, because he really truly is the ghost without a voice, isn't he? Oh, it's just, you know, you keep
1: hoping for stuff, you keep hoping that you're gonna, you know, we find some letters here and there. And, and that's great. And you, you, you know, we find articles about where he traveled with his friends and what they did. And, you know, they took car rides at the Mohawk Trail through New England or they went for the weekend to Montreal or that kind of stuff. And then you get the letters where he's talking to clubs. And it's really interesting. But we we just don't find anything where he talks about his theories of design. You know, and that's so we, we, we get we're getting to know him a little more as a person, I think, than we did 10 years ago. But we still don't know how what he took from McDonald and how he thought his way through a golf course and a routing and, you know, that and how he thought out, you know, how much of a golf course should you care about for the, for the high handicap? How much should you care for the scratch golfer? You know, who was he designing for any of that kind of stuff?
0: Right. You know, I, th- I still think it'd be, I mean, even with the gaps, I think it's just, a f- it would be a fascinating book just based on the, uh, the the work he did and how he did it and how he changed up, I mean, even if you were doing a dive into, you know, Rainer's redans, like you know what I mean, and how they were tweaked, how they changed, how they fit right. to the you know right. the landscape that existed. Right. Uh, I mean, fascinating, fascinating. No, story.
1: I, and I agree. And then, and you know, but uh, again, part of the problem with all of that is, is with anybody who's writing about golf courses yeah. that are 100 years old, yeah. you're gonna hope that if you're writing about it that something didn't change.
0: Absolutely. You know, right.
1: We know. We know now, for instance, that the Redana, uh, Fisher's Island isn't an original, that that was lost in the Hurricane of 38. Anybody who goes to Shore Acres and comes away from that Redan has the impression that somebody else worked on it, although the club doesn't have that because they lost, they lost their entire history, in a, almost their entire history in a clubhouse fire. You know, and so, but I agree with you. I mean, I think it is fascinating to that kind of stuff. And look, let's compare short holes or let's compare.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's like, for instance, the Redan at Fisher's, I just uh, posted a video of the reveal uh, this morning of the Punch Bowl Green, the Alps I, Alps Punch Bowl, same thing in, in the case yeah. of uh, Fisher's. It's funny you say that. And I think we brought this up before, but that is the Fisher's uh, Redan is one of the weaker Redans I've seen from either architect McDonald and Rainer, and that I think that probably makes a little bit more sense. I, th- I remember walking away from it like, huh, it's a Redan,
1: right? And and it, it, you know, the, Banks was dead by thirty eight, so we know that he didn't build it. And bags has some very good redans. So who knows? We don't know who built it because it doesn't work. It doesn't kick the ball where it's supposed it to. It doesn't. No. I mean, it it's got it the shape. It, it just kick,
0: doesn't do anything. Yeah. It kicks it like two
1: thirds into the green. It doesn't get to that corner like you want it to. Um, and so there's that kind of stuff. I, the, what, if I were to do this, the, one of the fascinating chapters for me would be, or the chapter I really want to write is the the, the holes, the, the original holes, the holes that Rainer came up with on golf courses that were his.
0: Overlooked, you know, right? Overlooked. I, I, Oh,
1: extremely overlooked. People come away from golf courses and they want to talk about certain holes. And I, and I understand that, especially if you go um, t- to a golf course like Fishers and see the punch bowl, the Alps punch bowl. You know, you, but there's some holes you need to talk about that he did on his own. And to me, that's the, his greatness is when you get to uh, one of my favorites is the seventh at Fishers. I talk about Fishers a lot because I caddied there. But the seventh at Fishers is all his. And it's a short four. And w- when you understand the prevailing wind and the angle of the green and the position of the pond and all of that, it really reveals itself to be a a, a phenomenal golf golf hole.
0: Yeah, I, I just I, anytime you talk about Fisher's, you're going to have me on the hook. <laughs> just right. I guarantee it. I mean, it's right. I don't know how you can be under the radar and be ranked in the top ten, but it's under the radar somehow. Yeah, you know, but every,
1: every golf course you go to. You know, you go to Yemen's and you see stuff and you go to country club at Charleston and you see stuff, you know, and you go to, you see the drawings from what he did at Dedham and the holes at Dedham. And every time I go someplace, it's just, wow, you know, that's a really good hole, you know, and that's, Banks refers to them as natural. When they don't have a name, he refers, if it's not a road hole, it's a natural hole. And I think that's really interesting that he calls it that, you know, and you just sit there and and say to yourself, you know, that's, you, you know, wow. Wow! Look at that short. Look at that short hole at Wanamatomie or wh- whatever. You know, like not short as in a short four, not
0: yeah. No, I understand not the
1: short and hole. you sit right. there and go, wow, that's really interesting how we use the land. Or, you know, every time I'm on one of his golf courses, I think that you know that's the overlooked
0: um, aspect. I think everybody is looking forward to see their old friends, right? Which are yeah, you know, the th- ideal holes. When in fact, you know, if, if you're just waiting for the next one, you're missing out on some real. Great architecture.
1: Yeah, and it's one, it's, you know it's one of those things. If you go to a famous restaurant that has a famous dish or a famous few dishes, that's what you concentrate on the first time you go, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. If you go to fishers, you really want to spend a lot of time, for the first time looking at the, the Alps Punch Bowl, and you want to see the road hole and you want to see the double plateau and you know all that kind of stuff it's later on. That's the problem. You know what I mean? And I don't knock anybody who comes away from fishers and talks or Chicago golf club and talks about their famous holes. You know, it's just, if you've never seen a beer, if you've never seen some, a really good long hole and you come away and you're just, you know, you want to talk about that, that I understand that. It's just that as we get further in, as you get further into understanding him, I'm sure the same with any architect, the more you get into understanding them, the more, you know you know you see their greatness
0: you're right i mean that would be a fascinating chapter just looking at the holes that you know weren't the ideal holes weren't the templates because it's it is way overlooked in his work
1: way overlooked yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i and i agree and I, and and i think the second you know the people that knock him talk about his redundancy and i think that's a, a fabrication because you can't you can't look at The Eden Hole at Hodgkiss, which is downhill and has, you know, a mound in the middle of the green and look at the uphill um, Eden at, at Lookout Mountain and say that these are copies of each other. Right. You know that he just he just took out a drawing and said, this is what an Eden Hole is or just make it like that, because that's just not how it worked. And so that's, a, and I want to talk about that too, to show how he adapted them, you know, to the land and how we did things like a country club at Charleston, where he didn't build a beer. that long par three was never beer. and it was never intended to be a bear. And for whatever reason he built that that way and bang, that's it. That's that hole. And people fight about it and they talk about putting it back. And it's like, there is no putting it back. They have drawings. It was never beer. If you wanted a beer, he would have built it.
0: True. Fascinating. So you've got to write the book. I think it's it's a lot. Let's yeah. listen <laughs> to this passion. If you can't you book, cannot though. live a healthy life with this much passion like <laughs> built up inside <laughs> of you.
1: That's why I do podcasts with you. I so know, I right? That. Yeah. So, and, and then you get mad arm at arm me
0: arm when, arm when arm I when I might call something, you know, a template for greatness. I'm just saying just saying i had to do it you couldn't you, could could you couldn't it resist a, i couldn't resist the over-under was about a six template minutes how for long have we been a seth rayner story I mean, <laughs> wow live on it for eons you're gonna publish this thing and it's gonna go the exact opposite. it's just gonna be called seth rayner and i'm just gonna like throw my microphone across the room
1: Damn it. I'm, never, I'm never gonna use the word template in the book just so <laughs> a template for, i mean come on it's
0: perfect it's perfect. You'll sell twenty times more books. Yeah, just yeah, to so forty books. That's what I understand. <laughs> love it, love it, yeah. love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go on here. This is too fascinating. Keep, keep so moving. So you you've written you know several books, co-written yeah. uh, a book as well, but one I, I believe I'm happy to see more and more on bookshelves. Specifically, when I go to golf courses, is the finest nines, which I believe was published two years ago.
1: Yeah, 2018. It's it's done very well. I think well. still still rolling, isn't it? Well, uh, and was it golf.com? com just came out with the best nine-hole golf courses in the world. So that's, I mean, that has to be a direct result of that book, doesn't it? I, mean, I would think done, so. Um, they didn't talk to me about it. They didn't take any input from me, and they didn't mention the book in the article. But
0: That's how media works. I was told that a long time ago. When they take when when somebody takes a quote from my podcast and I see it out there, uh, I was told by Rod Morey, welcome to media. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah that's the that's the big thing you don't you yeah you don't want to give credit to somebody else I guess I don't know to make it sound like you came up with the idea but yes the book is done very well it's people are still buying it people are still ordering it from me um people talk to me about the courses I still get the emails how could you have not included and they put them which is fantastic which means they read the book
0: did they include every course you had on there were there any no, that they left no, off that you no, thought not, like this no. is a
1: glaring
0: miss oh
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that seem to be a bias for them is they really like seaside golf courses. They really like courses with views. They love Highland links out of Truro, which I think is a fun golf course. But no way do they, is it ranked top 25 in North America? The same thing with um, well, what's there's a There's a golf course in, uh, down the road from um, it's in Rhode Island. I'm trying to blank it on the name. And it, it's a nice golf course but it's just with when there's weak, it's weak there's one upon It's called weak And it's a nice nine hole golf. It's course. It's not right ocean to,
0: links. Is that what you're, you're not going to say that? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Another no. ghost
1: um, course, right?
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: And, and you just sit there and, and you say, well, it's, it's a nice golf course, but it's, it's got some nice views, but they didn't go after the inland golf courses. I mean, they, to overlook, to overlook Birchwood in, 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 uh, Connecticut, which is this really good, uh, Alfred Tull, I believe, golf course. And to not go, I mean, to go to Hotchkiss and not drive up the road a little way and go see Norfolk Country Club, which is a Tillinghast, is just astounding to me. I mean, I, I can't believe that if it didn't get, how does it not get, because it's, it's better than Norfolk and Birchwood are instantly better than Highland Links and better than Weakapod.
0: So looking at, looking at your book and your expertise in, in the nine hole, was, is it hard to read that article? You, you
1: know, I did a couple of things. First thing I thought was I was wondering if I missed anything.
0: You know, that's always sure, a fear. Sure, absolutely. I, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh, so. how would I miss this? You know?
1: Yeah. And then I went in and you realized that it was written, you know, there's this, these synopsis on these golf courses are really kind of quick, you know, about why they chose them and what's good about them. And, you know, people picked out some errors right away and, I was really interested to see the, you know, the, the the overseas one, because Ivan Morris had written a book, has written a book about all the nine hole golf courses in Ireland. That was a direct result of my first book to the nines. He read that and thought, wow, that's really good. I need to go visit every nine hole golf course in Ireland. So, you know, and there's some ones that were mentioned to me and people have said, Hey, you have to go play this nine hole golf course. If you're ever in Ireland or, you know, you're ever in Scotland and, you know, and I have played nine hole golf courses there. It's a blast. Um, and th- so it was interesting to see that. It just, I was really, really surprised about some of the courses that were left out.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, when you have a, a level of expertise, it's hard to like review that kind of work from you may maybe somebody who hasn't, you know, seen all of them. I I, I just, I'm going back to things I've seen on social media, not social right. media, I'd call it YouTube, where there's videos of people talking about the history of something and you're like... Wow, you know, like well, there's 18 holes of golf because there's 18 shots in a whiskey bottle. Yeah, I know wow. your caddy's been telling you that in I in Scotland. Yeah. I get it; he's messing with you. <laughs> right. Right. You, know? no, you
1: right? There's a oh. lot, and that's the problem. You know, that's a problem when for uh, for any historian, not just golf, is is to is to make sure that the history is right, and you have to be skeptical about everything that you hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need multiple, like, you find weird things, not to get way off topic here, but I was um, helping Oakmont Country Club with some things, and I came across an article that said that Willie Anderson was a head pro there. Willie Anderson, four time US Open champ. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you know, I'm like, and I'm skeptical. I'm like, I don't think this is true. And it turns out it was his brother. And it, you know, it was one article that was wrong. That's why you always have to find more sources than one. Because it happens often, specifically well, that, in print media.
1: That goes back to the Seth Rayner obit that went out by the Associated Press that listed him working on a course in Santa Barbara. And people have bought that.
0: Oh, yeah, he so they've been searching for this, <laughs> well, this listen, lost Rayner.
1: If you want to search for it, you can. But the fact is that's the only reference we've ever heard. And there's no, we have no other information of him ever being there doing any work. And people are trying to plug him into courses there. And we're just like... You know, that's great. It was in an, it was in an obit and, and, and the oral histories are, there's a really interesting one. A friend of mine lives in, um, she lives in Bourne, Massachusetts on the Cape and she lives in an area called Monument Beach. And probably 25, 30 years ago, a guy did a book on the oral history of Monument Beach and there used to be a golf course there. And in the history, he talks about, um, how the golf course came about and how its demise and all the members. Or some of the members from that one went up the road and formed the new golf course in Bourne. That's not what happened. That's complete, complete, complete uh, untruth. Because that course—I'm blanking on the name again. It begins with a P. They—they um, they know their history because they know because it was like people who are still there. It was like their grandfather that founded it. They know what happened. They have their history down cold. But here you are sitting with a book, you know, that you would think has to be right and has to be checked to make sure these these. Statements line up and it's completely wrong. So, if you, if, there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot yeah, of that No, there sense. is. Yeah. You, know you see it in a history. golf history
0: book and then people quote it. Yes. You know, and then it's, it becomes fact. Right. And that's, yep. that's one of the issues. You, I mean, you have to do a deeper dive into it. But, you know, back to the nines. Um, one of the only perhaps good aspects living in the age of the pandemic is that golf has been a relatively safe ath- athletic endeavor. And more and more people are playing the game. Do you think this has shined any light on the importance of nine hole golf courses? Have you seen any of that?
1: Yeah, I, I just think it's one of those situations where everybody's playing or a lot of people are playing golf and every golf course is busy, you know. And so, so I think people are, people are getting back to golf and people are getting back to understanding that nine holes is legitimate, as we always say, and line holes is, is fun. You know, and so every golf course out there that I've talked to is just killing it this year, and that's fantastic.
0: It is great news, right? And I, I think, yeah. I, I would think, and and it's more of a guesstimate, I suppose, or or you know, me just blowing wind here. But I feel like beyond the pandemic, you know, we are you know living busy lives. You know, uh, no one seems to have time for a four-hour round of golf, let alone a five-hour round on some courses. Right, and so I would think the value of a nine-hole golf course is that much stronger to having two hours. A lot of people can make two hours. Heck, I mean, if people play really fast like they should, you could get around a nine-hole course in an hour and fifteen to an hour and thirty. and, right. I think and that which should shine a light on you know the advantage of a nine-hole length.
1: One of the things that I, I've talked to some golf pros about from some, from some from some private clubs is. Guys, guys who are members at these clubs and are now home because they're not downtown, whatever city working, come over and play a few holes or play nine holes in the afternoon where they never would have done that before because they didn't have the time because they weren't getting, you know, they're getting out of work, say at their house at four and they just go to the golf course where then they were getting out of work at four and then commuting home and, you know, all that kind of stuff and having to do stuff around the house and so that whole thing about going back and playing 9 holes or in playing 9 holes is it, it it's kind of seeping into people's brains I think that hey it's golf I played 9 holes today.
0: Yeah, right. And I I mean not that it shouldn't have been acceptable but it's becoming more acceptable. I think there was this stupid stigma on 9 holes isn't golf that that pervaded golf for I would say a while. I mean in well, the general sense of golfers.
1: You got to re- you got to remember how long that stigma goes back. McDon- Charles Blair McDonald didn't want nine-hole golf courses being part of the USGA.
0: Oh, I did not know that. I did not and know then,
1: that. And then up until, I want to say the last 15 years, you couldn't put a, – a nine-hole round didn't count on you to get a USGA. So if you came out of a – if you were playing out of a nine-hole golf course, you had to put in two nine-hole rounds before you know what i mean it's like yeah, absolutely like USGA saying nine doesn't count yeah you know and that doesn't help
0: yeah and now but i, I think what it's great is i'm seeing and i think we're all seeing short golf courses par three courses uh interesting you know uh practice areas we're seeing nine hole courses and i think we're seeing a couple i think um I think, is it King Collins is looking to do possibly a 12 hole golf course. I think this is all great for golf. Having that, that opportunity of returning three, you know, every three holes kind of comes back to the clubhouse to give the opportunity to play a golf course like you choose to play it.
1: Right. And then the, um, Mike Nuzzo has that, uh, golf, golf course, nine hole golf course in Cleveland, Texas called nine grand. And it's definitely routed so that you can play it. You can play, like at five holes and seven holes and three holes, or come back and do oh, that's twelve cool. or something like that. Yeah, I, it, right. I mean that's the idea, you know. And down, you know, down the street from me, five, five, literally five miles from me is the Apple Course at Lyman Orchards, which is this Mark Mungum, um, executive golf course, six, seven threes and two fours. He put, but he put movement into the green, so there's a little redan, there's a little bieritz there's a punch ball. The place is jammed.
0: It's really? Just absolutely See, that's jammed. great.
1: Because and for me, what I really like about it is that people now have to learn to putt because there's movement in the greens. This isn't just these back to front, you know, executive golf courses or flat round, cir- flat circles. This is, you have to, you're learning to putt. There's movement in the greens. The greens probably roll at seven or eight, which is great. Oh, that's, you can put so much
0: slope. You can put that cup wherever you like with a seven, right? Right.
1: right, And you're not going to intimidate a kid who's coming out to try to learn golf and the greens rolling at 11, you know, or something like that. So they can have a lot of fun on it and they do a good job with it. It's, it's, you know, and you go there and there's kids playing and there's adults playing. There's a lot of women playing. I I went out there it's got to be I guess three weeks ago now and I you know just to hit some balls decided I wanted to play and they told me that I had one chance in the next hour and a half and there was a threesome on the tee and I had to join them and it was three three ladies in their 50s who were playing and you know and it's funny because it, it, it's a small golf course right it's like 1100 yards on the front or whatever and 1500 from the back and they said to me, "Well, you're going to go hit from your tees, right?" I was, "No, no, I'll just go hit from your tees." <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, I'm mean, hitting the irons. This is fun. And they were kind of, but th- there's everybody out there doing that. Is everybody out there is having a blast? You know, that's the yeah. idea. And it's jam- people
0: get caught up in tees, don't they? I, I, I oh, sometimes play heart. out at my club and I rotate from tips to blues to whites to reds, literally, and I change it up. So, yeah. you know, but somebody, God forbid, sees me and or knows my handicap and sees me teeing up from a red tee. And it's yeah. like, you know, shame, shame, Connor, what? What? shame. And I'm like, I'm just... I'm not even recording a, a score. I'm just out here to have fun today. I know. I, yeah. and, and so you were saying about media doesn't
1: give credit. I'm going to give credit to one of my friends on this, my friend E.J. Altabella, who's the pro at Springfield Country Club in Massachusetts. I said to him one day, one day we're out playing some race, said, what tees do you want to play? He said, the closest ones to the greens. So we would just walk off the green and play the nearest tee because a lot of times that's the original tee.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I yeah, it's be, how it was meant to be just played. Yeah you know he's carrying seven clubs
1: and we're just having fun and it's like you get so caught up in that stuff people get so caught up in that people have to play the back tees at oh, a 1500 no. yard golf course
0: why it's uh yeah or are they uh, they know my handicap and like oh you got to play the tips i'm like i'll just play with you it's fine yeah. I
1: don't care. The only time I ever, only changed it up on that was I wanted to hit driver twice that day, so I went back to the back tees on the two par fours because I needed to hit driver. But other than that, why wouldn't I go stand with the three people? I'm gonna I'm gonna be spending the next hour and a half with hour and forty five minutes. No, yes, yeah, has-
0: right. Why Why stagger it up? Absolutely. I just
1: like I'm not. We're not going to delay. I don't want you getting out of the way so I can hit. You know, because I'm gonna because I'm gonna go back twenty eight yards from where you are. Right. You know right. what I mean. So the hole's playing. 28 there were 150 and i'm at 168 like what's the difference let's just go hit the golf ball
0: yeah i totally agree i
1: can miss green some of those both those that's
0: right days. i can take a bogey from here doesn't <laughs> matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. i might be even more likely you never know right right um let's jump into our subject uh i, I our subject matter today is uh haunted golf courses um and I, i'll tell you how this got in my head anthony i it stems from an eerie experience, which I I, I think some people know if they've listened to the podcast. When I I was first exploring Charles Blair McDonald's lost masterpiece, the Lido Club in New York, I I arrived, the first time I'd ever been on Lido's property, I arrived and it was kind of coming to the end of the day. And I walked onto the beach at this vantage point, which would have been near uh, the end of the ocean hole on the sandy dunes. And it's just stared out into this thin layer of fog which appeared to be like hovering over the course rather than connected to it. Right. And and in this moment I swear I swear that I saw Charles Blair McDonald's golf course as it was like in the 1920s. <laughs> and, and and just like that it was gone. And I mean this fog it didn't blow in or blow out it just kind of was there and then it was gone. It was the weirdest thing. I took a photo of it. And if anybody's ever seen the painting that I have in my office of the ocean hole, it's actually that moment where I took a photo of it. It was taken as that fog was kind of like disappearing. And I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it's my imagination. It very well could be. Or if it's, it was the spirit of this lost golf course. But it certainly propelled my obsession with Alito and put the idea of this podcast in my head. <laughs> um, you know, 10 years right? ago, you co-authored a book, Haunted Golf: Spirited Tales from the Rough. Yes. I mean, what inspired you to to write and co-author that book? Uh, a publisher calling me up and asking me if I wanted to do it. I swear <laughs> to god. So it wasn't it wasn't at the Lido. It wasn't the same. No, they have yeah. a, it's really cool.
1: They have a haunted series, Haunted Highways, Haunted Oh, really? It was part of that? Cell. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got in touch with me and uh I wanted to do the book, but I wanted some help on this one, so I got in front uh, touch with my friend Chris Gonzalez, and uh, we dug up some stories, and that's how it all came about. And you know, I reached out to friends, and I reached out to—I think probably posted stuff online, and you know, asked for some stories, and some stories popped up out of places I didn't expect. People that I knew, you know, and then I heard stories from other places, and you know, stuff came rolling in, and it was great. It was a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of fun to do to hear to to come upon these stories and. Um, you know, because a lot of the ghost stories are, they're very local. Like people don't know about the Canton, Connecticut one, or
0: they will after today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or the one at Lincoln park in San Francisco, unless you kind of hang out there. And, and so now people know, you know, and that's, I think that's, you know, that's cool.
0: I agree hundred percent. Now I'll share a couple. I know you have more than I do. I just have two that, you know, I've come upon over my travels. Yeah. And, uh, for me, this is kind of like story hour. All right. So I might share a couple <laughs> stories, but I want you to feel free to share haunted stories as I sit back and pretend that I'm sitting by the campfire. I'll share right. a couple of mine. All right. But is there one course or club that has a story that really stands out to you as a tale of the macabre? You know, there's,
1: there's, I think there's two because I interviewed people who, who had the experience. The Otisaga Hotel where Leatherstock and golf course is is absolutely. That's in New
0: York, heat. correct?
1: Yeah. It's, out, it's Cooperstown. It's where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. And it's the story. I sat down with these people and they told me the story, you know, and you hear that stuff and you just say,
0: wow, you know, like that's. Yeah. I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> You're not it, even somebody, telling the story.
1: <laughs> somebody said to me, do you believe these stories? And I said, I don't think that's important. I said, what's important is I believe the stories that the people are telling that I believe that they're telling me the truth. So when you're sitting down with this former Marine, burly guy, never talks about this rugged, and he starts telling you these stories about the motorcycle hotel and this, you know, this German Shepherd fleeing the third floor because who knows what made it run and hide and, you know, and what he heard. And you sit there and go, oh my God, you know that's that's crazy that that this guy is telling me this experience because this isn't a guy that's going to fabricate that kind of story.
0: Right. Well, you let's know, when, hear it. Let's hear this story. I got to hear it. Well,
1: well I don't want to, because I don't want to do the chapter of the whole book. I do the whole chapter, but yeah, it's, it's very much that they, they always had children running in the hotel because it's closed during the winter. Right. So he's the only guy in there and it's, there's children running in the upper floors. They, they've had calls down to the front desk. It's, you know, when the hotel's open saying, um, we're hearing music from the room above us or the floor above us. Can you go up there? And they go up there, and there's nobody there. Wow! You know the crazy one was that somebody told me, and and when they tell you, you you see the terror in their face. Was there's two elevators, and they they got in we'll say the left hand elevator, and they went down to the bottom floor. It was and then when they when they got out, they were in the right hand elevator.
0: What? What? Yeah. That is
1: insane. Yeah. Or somebody sitting in the, the bars getting ready to close and they know there's a customer in a chair lounging, like looking out at the lake, and they're going to go over and give them their tab or see if they need another drink because they've been there the whole night. And when they go there, there's nobody in the chair.
0: Oh, weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, really.
0: Yeah. And uh, this all is ser- all in the hotel. All in the Otisaga
1: Hotel. All the servers have that story. All the servers that I talked to um, have that story.
0: And when they tell you the story, there's no twinge of fabrication,
1: they're scared. Wow! Because they're recounting the story out loud. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, and the same thing. The same thing with Canton Golf Course in Connecticut. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it was it was opened, run, and closed by the same family for. I think it opened in the '30s and it closed in early 2000s. And the final couple that were were running it, husband and wife that I know, and I know their daughter. The 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 clubhouse was an old barn, and they had their rooms. They lived in it, and they definitely had a guy upstairs um, with sounded like a wooden leg dragging his wooden leg across the the ceiling, you know, of, in the attic. And banging if they were making too much noise. And again, another this I was like the dog stories is they had a beagle that wasn't afraid of anything, and when it heard that, it would run and hide underneath the television.
0: And they'd go up, and there was nothing there.
1: Yeah, and and then and Walter Walter finally had enough, and he yelled at it, and he said, "We're not leaving."
0: And did anything uh, happen? Did uh, it stop?
1: They never, never heard of never heard it again.
0: Oh, weird!
1: You can make all the no- I think what he said was, "You can make all the noise you want, but we're not we're living here, and we're not leaving."
0: Oh, crazy, huh?
1: He, yeah, he was the head golf pro superintendent at the time, and his wife ran the pro shop and they were that was their that's was their job that's where they were the family had, the family had uh, built the golf course they had it was a jack ross golf course jack ross was from uh one of these really hyper local architects from the city of hartford he was an engineer for the city of hartford and he built a number of really good golf courses around here um one called one is called indian hill but he also designed the original middletown golf club which is in cromwell not middletown but that's where tpc river highlands is which hosts the travel championship but Canton is up the road from me, you know, thirty-five miles, and it was just—I've seen the drawing There's a, that Ross made. And it was a really fun nine-hole golf course. I really and it no longer it exists. Closed. Yeah, I lament that it closed.
0: Wow, when, when did that close? Do we know, Anthony? I,
1: like two thousand one, two thousand two. Oh, so not I, that long ago. Right. I got the—I I actually played it once in my life after the course was closed.
0: Really? I bet yeah. that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It's um well, but it's
1: it's it's um. It's sad because you realize that you're, you're kind of standing on a sinking ship. Do you know yeah. what I mean?
0: No. I, I, well, I mean, I experienced that, you know, 80 years after the fact when I was standing on the property of Lido. It's like, yeah. oh my God, what but, what was yeah. What's here?
1: Yeah. And we're, I'm standing there playing this golf course knowing that it's never going to be open again. But we could be the last people because the dozers were coming in shortly after to stop moving stuff.
0: And wh- what is there now?
1: A mall. Oh. A sh- shopping area, you know, upscale kind of stuff. Doth, yeah. cu-
0: doth cut too deep. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> it had one of those, you know, I don't even know. There's a, there should be a term to describe this. I can never figure it out. But it's, it's when you get onto a piece of property on a golf course, you cross a road, you play the one golf hole, and you come back. So they had one hole on the other side of the road. It just sat by itself. And I think that hole is still there. It's a par three. Right, like you go play it, there.
0: and there was no loop coming back. You just walked back.
1: No, you walked out to the green, and then you walked back across the road. You yeah, know, like, that's what I
0: mean. Seven, like, there wasn't T the, yeah, yeah, box on that side. Yeah. How interesting this, is that? This, the second hole at Maidstones like that. You come off the first, you cross a road,
1: you play the hole, you cross back the road. You do. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah.
0: Well, I guess, yeah, you do. It goes right down. That's basically, it's fenced off on the left. Yeah. Cars running down the left.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and this this Is was there a this marsh was on was
0: the right? I can't remember what's down the right.
1: Yeah. It's it's problems. Yeah. Problems. Yeah, so that was the way Kent was, is you would walk, you would, the, the cars were to your right. So you'd cross the road, you'd take a 90-degree turn right and play the hole, and take a 90-degree turn right and walk back on to where the rest of the eight holes were.
0: So tell me, do you, do you have any haunted tales from any golf courses that people might know from hosting a major championship? Wow. Not that I can I'm think kind of off thinking, the top. I'm of my thinking Minikata. Oh, I'm that's, sorry. Minicotta, that's way yes. back, right? That's Chief, way back. Yeah, yeah, most people probably wouldn't even recognize it as hosting a major.
1: <laughs> right. uh, geez, it hosted a U, uh, USAM, a US Open.
0: Yeah, with, with uh, uh, I think, was it WeMAT and Jones winning? Is that? Did I get WeMAT? was that? Uh, uh, Chick, Chick Evans. Chick Evans won as an amateur. Chick Evans, yes, correct.
1: Chick Evans and then Jones won there, and then they had a Curtis Cup, and they had a Walker Cup, and they had a Senior Am a few years ago.
0: So tell us the Minicata story.
1: Wait a minute! I got to jog my memory.
0: No, that's all right. Well, there was a murder committed.
1: Oh, uh, there was. At Minicada before the there was the the famous Kitty Ging murder, G-I-N-G. And if you look that up, it received national attention. Um, and the New York Times covered it, and it was it was it was national news. It what happened?
0: At, well, yeah, give me the rundown of that murder. What was the story <laughs> behind was, that? It
1: was a guy who essentially kidnapped. I think. Uh, he kind of portrayed himself to be somebody that he wasn't. And he took her out there and his horse and buggy for whatever reason and murdered her on a spot that's now on the Minicata club. Uh, and then he kind of vanished and her, her horses pulled the empty, her empty carriage back to her house.
0: Oh my gosh. That's and
1: sad. Her, and then they found her and they found him. And there's a famous, when the, when the murderers on the, on the, uh, on the scaffold, he has some, like, famous last words, like, tie it tight boys meaning the knot or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of those Dark. last things where you just sit there and go, wow, that's kind of... Yeah. I don't Let's know stop, if you're, if anything. Or you're crazy. Right. Or, yeah, you're just, you know, I, I don't know. But it was... Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you can, you can go to the major newspapers of the day if you have, like, newspapers.com or something like that. And you can go to the Chicago... Uh, Chicago Tribune, and, which was where the, you know, how they covered it, how the Minneapolis paper covered it, the New York Times was all over it, and it's really in depth on what happened and describing the guy and describing the woman and, you know, all, it's, it's it's fascinating. It would have been tabloid and would have been, you know, all over cable TV, every, you know, the murder of the century, you know, all of that stuff, and that's, it was essentially then, you know, the, it was that big that it became news for everybody.
0: And is are there? I don't know. We call it, paranormal stories that go along with that today.
1: They had some. They have some incidents. Definitely have some incidents in the clubhouse. There's yeah. some noises and scaring the crap out of people. And, really?
0: They yeah. don't see anything. Is it just kind of like mysterious noises? Yeah, I think it's more
1: that kind of stuff. More the noises and you know people refusing to stay there because there used to be. I don't know if there still is, but there used to be employee housing in there, and people are like, I'm not going to do
0: that. Interesting. And they yeah. tie it to that murder. I mean, at least they think, Well, they,
1: right? yeah, they tie it, yeah. You know, the clubhouses, that's, there's very few hauntings I think where I could think of where people see ghosts on or apparitions on the golf course. But, you know, it's like the the clubhouse at Lincoln Park. It turns out that Lincoln in San Francisco is a municipal course built on top of a cemetery. You know, they the, in 120 years ago, people, a company was hired, people hired to move the bodies. And they just took the grave markers away. The
0: tombstones, yeah. They take the tombstones. It's like a poltergeist situation, right? Yeah. Where they left so the they bodies took the behind. tombstones,
1: and yeah, and you know, there's some great stories about, you know, noise happening in the clubhouse where the pro is. Like, wait, man, those people are supposed to be out of there, and he opens the door, and the room's dark.
0: Really, yeah. I-, I heard another. I've heard stories, but you never know. You know, like with golfers um, encountering shots where they. Hit it into the green, and you know maybe it was a bad shot. You never know. Blame, right, it, on, right. blame it on the cemetery, but the ball seemingly uh, in air stops and just falls without, really? without wind. Huh? Huh? Yeah, I heard that uh, from. Gosh, it was somebody. It was right after the podcast um, we did on Mackenzie's course, uh, Sharp Park. Someone came to that story and said we should do a story on Jackson because of that, and I was like, I, I didn't know it, and then I, I read it in your book. I was like, How fascinating is that? Yeah. Yeah, I,
1: I played. Um, I played one of autonomy in Middletown, Rhode Island, a couple of weeks ago, and there's an interesting um, piece of history there that I didn't know. Off the back of what is now the 10th tee, was originally the first. Is a small, <coughs> excuse me, small cemetery, and I, I'm guessing 20, maybe 20 gravestones. And I was playing with the course historian and the guy who's going to be writing the the club history, and. They showed me a stone off the back of one of the greens, probably maybe 300, 400 yards from the cemetery. They did some research on it, and that's a woman who died of some sort of uh, disease that could be transferred to you know uh, uh, to somebody that they could catch easily. They're not sure what it was, whether it was the flu or smallpox or whatever, but they buried her there. Oh. And it wasn't until decades later that they figured out that that stone— is a grave marker. Oh, really? It's right off the back of a green. Like, you walk over. Yeah. And it's because she had this communicable disease, and apparently you couldn't even bury dead people with communicable diseases next to other dead people.
0: Yeah. And well, so- I mean, that's the story of uh, St. Andrews, right? The 18th hole, the Valley of Sin, sits on an unmarked grave for uh, plague victims. I don't know if you knew that.
1: Yeah, plague victims. And then I also heard there was a trash pile there, that they dumped garbage there. But yeah, so... Right. so, the, so Just there's like this,
0: a dumping ground.
1: Yeah. So there's this grave for this, this oh, woman right off the back of this green.
0: That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of, of murders, uh, many people are familiar with New Jersey's major championship venue, Baltusrol. Roll. Uh, it has two courses designed by Tillinghast. If you're not familiar, I, I can't imagine that, but that's okay. Um, it's, ha- it's hosted uh, seven U.S. Opens, four U.S. Amateurs, and two PGA Championships, and I believe most people know the story of how the club received its name. But I figured I'd, I'd share this story. And, and I've heard from a couple members on the ghost. So there was a farmer who lived at, uh, on this land. His name was actually Baltus, first name Baltus, last name Roll. And he lived on uh, this, this house that I believed existed on the practice putting green. And I don't know how uh, these gentlemen robbers, um, soon to be murderers, found out about this or heard this rumor, but they broke into Baltus's house in the middle of the night, and they believed that there was hidden treasure somewhere on his property. Now, this is in the 1830s, maybe apparently in a time where people actually hid treasure on their properties. I don't know. Uh, But they tortured him and killed him, leaving without the said treasure. Now, one of them mysteriously poisoned himself and died shortly thereafter. The other one went to... uh, was tried and was actually found innocent, lack of evidence. But I've heard from many sources over the years that old Baltus roll can be seen from time to time pacing on that practice screen where his life was taken from him. And I've been told uh, by many sources that if you ever happen to be at Baltus roll on February 22nd, the day he died, they always say, look into the moonlight at that practice screen and you might be sure to spot poor Baltus. I think that's a sad story as much as anything. I've heard heard stories of him like roaming the course to uh, supposedly looking for the people who killed him or lost. Um, But I I think some of these, you know, scary ghost stories, uh, uh, probably all of them, to be honest with you, all have really sad stories behind them.
1: Oh, a lot of them revolve around murders. You know, it's people, it's, it's murder victims coming back or, you know, looking, ghosts looking for murder victims or murderers and, yeah, it's not
0: –
1: yeah, it's, it's not happy – I don't have any happy ghost stories.
0: Right, right. You know what I mean? There's no it's Casper like, stories. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and
1: right. I, that's, it comes down it comes to that, that there's, you know, the ghosts of trying to vanquish their murderers or returning to the scene of the – literally returning to the scene of the crime. And yeah, but they're fascinating. They're all fascinating. That's, you know.
0: You, you had a really good story, I thought, on uh, one of the famous hotels out there, the Biltmore, about the gangster ghost.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> that's,
0: yeah. Always that's, a good chapter title, by the way. The Gangster Ghost, Ghost. Yeah,
1: I don't, yeah, we can, I don't want to do too much of this away. I want to let people read this, but yeah. it's good. It's a good, there's gangsters and there's golf courses and killings and it's great.
0: So give, a, these all give them a Cliff Notes version of, of, of that story without giving it away. Um, like, how about the setting? When are we looking? Like 1920s?
1: Yeah, well, we're, we're looking at the... I'm actually looking up... Because you're asking me specific pointy questions. True. That is unfair of me.
0: This. Tell you what, you look at that and I'll tell the story. Yeah, that I tell the story. Okay, so and some of you have listened to the podcast already, but I have a story that I shared in a previous podcast, which I find interesting. It might be one of my favorite stories of one of my favorite clubs because it's a unique one in that. But a friend of mine who experienced the event himself told me this story, Ed Rutledge who joined us on episode 22 of the Talking Golf History podcast called The Club That Time Forgot. And if you haven't listened to it, it's a must. I mean, it is one of the most unique histories you'll ever find from a golf course. So Lake Zurich uh, Golf Club, is course, its history is one of the quirkiest, cool stories that I know in America. It was built in 1892 by James Fowlis on the recommendation of Charles Blair MacDonald. The clubhouse was built by Jarvis Hunt, who built the clubhouse for Chicago Golf Club, and I believe he also did uh, the clubhouse at National Golf Links of America. And it's still a nine-hole private course. In its history, it's never had more than 35 members. So, I mean, it's just this quirky, quirky story. But now, through all their history, the club was in jeopardy of being lost in the 1920s when the railroad decided that it was going to run its tracks right through the middle of the course. And they decided they were going to condemn the golf course. Now, the president of the club at the time was a fast-thinking lawyer for the University of Chicago. And he was also a die-hard member in the wool of Lake Zurich. And instead, he realized a way to get around the railroad. He realized that you can condemn a property that's a golf course, but you can't condemn a cemetery. So in the middle of the night, this member took four unclaimed bodies from the morgue at the University of Chicago and buried them with tombstones at Lake Zurich Golf Club and changed the legal designation of the club to cemetery. And to this this very day, I believe it's on the first hole, that you can find the tombstones and where the four bodies lie of the residents of the golf course. These four men are also considered the most prominent members of the club. Now, over the years, Lake Zurich has had some fantastic golf stories. Um, Part of the golf club's uh, house design is it has uh, quarters above it, because, of course, this was like a a true country club. It was in the middle of the nowhere when it was built, and you could spend the night. And there are a lot of stories of folks who still spend the night at the club. Maybe they've imbibed a little too much drink, uh, but they are sleeping in their bed when they're awoken in the middle of the night by songs coming from the dining hall, on the main floor and this interesting club has its own hymn book and they can hear the hymns being sung from the club and when they go downstairs there's nothing there but here's where it gets interesting Uh, and i've seen this photograph ed who does not strike me as someone who believes in fairy tales shared with me his own story so he took his family to um To the club, one, I think it was the winter formal event. So, again, you know, we're talking about there's only, I think, 27 members now. And, you know, these families come for this winter formal and they sing songs and they have a good meal and they drink and they have a good time. And Ed was finishing up and uh, he decided to step outside and it was this beautiful, still evening. You know, the wind wasn't even blowing, the night was still, there was literally no noise and for some reason he thought with his camera this is pre before smartphones that he just would take like a photo of the serenity in the lawn of of the clubhouse and i don't know if he took it he just took it for you know remembering this great evening he takes this photo and he doesn't think anything of it there's nothing out of the ordinary but when he develops it he realizes there's all these odd orbs of light all over the yard some have I would say figure to them. I've seen this photo and it hangs in the clubhouse, but Ed believes like believes with many members that those orbs of light that seemingly come from no source are the past members who had come to celebrate with the current ones, the winter formal. And I love that story. That's one of like 15 stories that we share Uh, In that episode, but it's one that's always stuck with me because the other thing that they do that's just unbelievable, Anthony, is you go on the second floor. If you're ever in Chicago or you're going to Chicago, you let me know. I'll try to come to and we'll go check this place out because it's (laughs) amazing. First of all, it's a course that is untouched by time. Like the original Victorian mounds are still on the golf course. Right. Um, Up until I think the 1990s, there were sheep that cut the golf course. Fantastic. They changed the whole location once every three months and the greens <laughs> might roll to like a, I don't know, maybe a five. And so Perfect. one of the greens is, it's tilted. I mean, I don't know if it's 10 degrees cause that sounds extreme, right. but there's right. no way you could have that kind of slope. And I remember hitting it and I was on the bottom side with a, a severe right to left. And I mean, it was a 50 foot turn that on any other course, any other course, it would touch that hole and fly off the green the other direction. But because of the stimp speed, it, it's the only way it can work. Right. But this, this course has so much history and it's untouched. So one of the things I was saying is on that second floor, they do two things that are really cool. They have a past member who stayed in the, you know, on the top floor in one of the rooms quite often and he decorated it. And he, when he passed away, they kept that room just the way he decorated it. And I mean this is an adult, but you walk in Anthony and you feel like you walked into your like 12-year-old, you know, bedroom, you know like with yeah, sports yeah. photos and stuff. And the other really cool thing is they wear red jackets when they have these formal events. Right. And in the closet on the upper floor are the red jackets of members who have passed. Wow. Oh, I mean, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I, like I said, that's one of my favorite stories. I mean, because it's twofold. You know, the singing songs, the orbs in the night, and for this unique 1895 course that's never been changed. I mean, it haunts me, but in a good way, to this day. If that makes sense, right? So go ahead. I, I think did you have time to check? No, out? I was
1: going to say, but yeah, we're too, so you have. So this is the this Biltmore Hotel thing takes takes place with the gangsters in the Roaring Twenties. And you have to read it because there's a guy in it named Fatty Walsh. I oh. think anytime there's the name Fatty. They had
0: the names back then. Some they nailed
1: stick, them. I think you have to do that. But yeah, it's the roaring 20s. It's the Biltmore. It's a beautiful Donald Ross golf course. There's a lot of money. There's illegal gambling. There's illegal alcohol. I mean, it's, a, it's all, everything you want in the ghost story.
0: Everything you want in a club. What are you talking <laughs> about? You
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And Fatty. I want to belong to a club where there's a guy's name. Fatty,
0: right? Yeah. So I'm good. What, what stands out to you over all these tales from Haunted Golf? What, what stands out to you? What, what are your takeaways?
1: The, the, uh, the, the city archaeologist for San Francisco told me an interesting story. He's the guy that's um, when there's – if they find a casket, say, as they're doing some construction, he opens it up. And looking at what's inside, he tries to determine – what what age you know what year this came from who this person was you know like if they have a certain amulet you know they he'll know that they were a chinese worker and this was meant for luck and this had to be from this time frame and all all of that and he said to me i said to him well you, you've done all this stuff and you've been around you know these these opening these caskets and have you ever s- seen anything that had an experience and he said no he said you either have it in quotation marks, or you don't, meaning this sensitivity or ability to see or to feel, yeah, otherworldly spirits. And he said, "I don't have it," and I think that's fascinating that there's people who. But he
0: believed it, that, that that existed. He just didn't have it. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. You either have it have it or you don't, is what he
1: said to me, and I don't. Because I said, if there's anybody that I know that should have seen spirits and stuff, or apparitions or ghosts, is you. You know, where you, cause you spend time alone in these rooms and, you know, w- w- you've opened up, you've opened up graves that haven't been opened up in hundreds of years and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I just thought that it was fascinating that he described it that way. That's why everybody can't, everybody can't see it, feel it because everybody doesn't have the ability.
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the most fascinating aspects of that statement, though, is that he, he, it's, he's never experienced it, but he doesn't deny that people can experience it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that takes a a great bit of faith, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know,
1: and this is my experience with writing the book. You can you can be standing around at a dinner party at a golf club, listening to somebody tell a story about what they saw as far as a ghost or an apparition or a feeling or, you know, these cold winds that blow through places. It's another thing to sit down with somebody and have them tell you. Because then you get a better read on the person and what they're saying. When you see somebody who's afraid, or you see somebody who has you know, that, the feeling that they have come back to them while you're talking to them, it's, it's hard to deny th- that, they ha- that that experience was true to them.
0: You know, you, a lot of the stories that we've talked to today um, aren't really threatening in nature. Are there any tales where people felt like an imminent threat? Versus, you know, just being afraid. You you get what I mean that distinction.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, that they were going to be in trouble. No, I don't. I don't. There was situations where pe- Yeah, we, it wasn't like where something came after them or put them in danger or, you know, a lamp dropped, you know, next to them office of, or, you know, a light fixture off a ceiling. Nothing like that. But I, one the I, so when I wrote the book, I guess you know what you do write the book. You you do take it. One of, I don't know how scary it is. I don't know if it's supposed to be scary, if it's just a good, you know, entertaining book, but um, my, my high school classmates are really good at supporting my career, so they buy my books. And one of my, uh, one of my friends was irate because her 12-year-old daughter picked up the book, read a couple chapters, scared the crap out of herself, and, really, really <laughs> and spent the night sleeping between both of them because she was so scared. Really? And I, I like was like that. Oh, I scared the crap out of a twelve-year-old. Yeah. I, I did not know that was my stated goal, but I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. I just, you know, and I said, to her, I did tell her to read the book. You know, you, you But you know, it's line. it's
0: interesting because I've I've heard of uh, there's a thing out there called uh, necro tourism, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Where people go to you know these these haunted places. I know one of them is actually at my club. Our original clubhouse was the Bellevue Inn. Which used to be the, uh, I think it was the largest wooden structure in the United States back in the day, the Vanderbilt Hotel. Okay, and uh, it is now you know kind of a boutique whole, uh, hotel. They've lost a lot of the the wooden structure, but kept the original main building. And I've heard several sources that it's haunted. And here are my kids uh, wanting to stay in the hotel because they want to experience it. Right. You right. know. So I think some run towards you know that fear or you know that eeriness and and some don't want anything to do with it
1: it's it's that's and it's interesting because i don't so i when i wrote the book there was there was a book out of like the top 100 hotels in the united states something along that line and at the bottom of of the page there were these graphics that indicated what you could do at the hotel what there was for entertainment boating tennis golf spa there's one for haunted. there's a golf icon oh really yeah People go to people, and I, the general manager at the time of the Otisaga Hotel told me, "Oh, we want people to know. People come here to be in a in a in a haunted hotel." I've run into hotels that didn't want that, which I thought was kind of interesting because, but there's you can. Yeah, you go and you you look that up for haunted hotels, and they want they want the haunted the haunted tourists. Yeah, I get that. I them. mean,
0: you think about the hotel. I can't remember the name of it, it escapes me in Boise. Uh, the Mount Hood is where the exterior for The Shining was filmed. Yes, you know, it's just a movie, right? I mean, it's not even right. like a real haunting, but people want to go see that. Um, let me yeah. ask you this: of of the public golf courses, we named Jackson you named a hotel. Jackson
1: when you say Jackson you mean Lincoln Park, right? Sorry, Lincoln Park. My Lincoln apologies. Park,
0: yes. If you are a golf necro tourist, what of the, what of these places obviously they need to buy your book before they do it, but yeah. where they buy your book, where do they need to where can they go? Where, you know, you can't go to Baldus Roll and just hang out on the putting creek. right? right? <laughs> you can't go to Lake Zurich <laughs> folks by the way, private club, just letting you know, don't go do that. But like where can they go to see if they can experience that or just be in the presence of people who have experienced those things
1: uh the mount washington hotel in new hampshire is a really good one and there's a good story out of that that they didn't know until after the hotel was built but the the um the stonework and the interior stonework was done by italians and those guys had uh uh they brought with them uh what was the word not suspicions but old traditions and one of the traditions was the number of stairs going up on one side of the hotel isn't the same as the number of stairs going up to the second floor, like on the other side to confuse the spirit supposedly.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah.
1: So leather stocking is good. You can go to, um, you can go to leather stockings, uh, uh, hotel, um, the Arowana and Wawona hotels, um, out in Yosemite are great. Um,
0: trying to think what else you can go to the damn mall
1: because <laughs> that building is still there the barn is still there damn it but yes yeah, since which is even yeah the balsams hotel in new hampshire they don't they didn't want to return my phone calls really about, but yeah i was surprised but they have some great hauntings there um
0: and, and that's just a matter of like they don't want to embrace that aspect
1: i guess so this is i don't want to say now they don't but this was when i when did i write this book i mean you know, they, they want to know part of it. And the reason I knew the story is Bob Lebance, who was, uh, was a great, great historian, um, golf historian, lived in lived in Vermont, knew the story about it, had written a magazine article about it and said, oh, man, you've got to do this. And he gave me the article. And uh, I read it and talked to him and the hotel wouldn't return my phone calls. So but I got it. It's the last chapter in. So you can still go to the Balsams. Still go see ghosts. Do stuff. Interesting. There. Yeah. Yep.
0: So we talked about this briefly before we started. There aren't a ton of haunted stories that come from overseas. No, not that,
1: not that I found what I got in touch with my guys over there, you know, but I think it's, again, it's one of those situations where if you were to go to some of these smaller clubs, you know, and find out about their, their old, um, their old clubhouses, that they were battleground sites, that there's probably all these stories that nobody's ever collected. Because again, I think I have said this early on, it's very hyper local. Like you know, these stories that you hear, like nobody outside of anybody who played golf at Canton Public yeah. Golf Course Yeah, who would know that
0: my club had, you know, has a right. haunted hotel on it, right? I mean unless right. you know the people around it. Yeah, I get that. Right. I get that.
1: So you're gonna you're gonna bump into I'm sure you're gonna bump into people if you started looking that would say, Hey, you know, we, we have this we have this here, this small club or you know, because that's that's what happened here that's how I found yeah. out this
0: you know i haven't talked to roger mcstravick about it but i'm like how does st andrews not have a billion stories like if if right. haunted right. you know golf like exists that place has so much history right and, and
1: and on top of the on top of it that's where the the you know the protest protestant reformation in in scotland happened there and all these hangings and torches and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Unbelievable.
0: It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and they're out there. The stories are out there. I mean, it just, you know, even like the 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 one that I the story that I did on this on uh Staff, Stafford Country Club in New York, where just the grisly murder that took place, you know, in the on in the clubhouse and whether there's hauntings or not, just the fact that what happened there and people are going to that clubhouse every day.
0: And they have no idea.
1: And they have no idea. People don't know.
0: And there's a lot of stories like that in these clubs.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. People getting murdered, people being found dead, you know, on golf courses and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's a book out there. I mean, you could do a book on golf course murders, you know, just.
0: I mean, I I, I think you should write that book after you finish a template for greatness. The Seth Rayner story.
1: (laughs) I would have thought, we got it in sooner than that. I mean, the I don't know if time, there were any bets on, I don't, it I don't know if times. there were
0: over under bets on how many times I'd bring <laughs> that up, but I promise you that's the last <laughs> one. So if you were one and a half folks, someone's collected money, you got to pay your bills.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm glad you worked it out. A ghost story and we managed to get the wrong book, <laughs> right? Correctly.
0: Yeah, it's, it yeah. works. It works. Yeah. Anything else Jeez. that you want to bring up, Anthony? All right. So because you didn't ask the most obvious question, I'm yeah. going to answer it. Yes, Please. I've had an
1: experience on a golf course. You
0: have. Oh, <laughs> and, see, I, and I it, didn't and ask have- that question. Why I didn't ask it is you seem to say whether they believed it or I believed it, they did. And that's where I thought yeah. maybe you didn't believe it. So let me hear your story. I want to hear right,
1: that. So the, let me – What I have to look inside the book to make sure. What year did this book come out? Just so I can give a time frame.
0: 2009, more- I
1: think. Does that sound right? Yeah, 2009. So, okay, so this book comes out in 2009, which means I wrote it in 2008. Okay, in right. 2003, so, and 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 what I thought, one of the things that came about out of that was what that archaeologist said. Some people have it, some people don't. I don't have the it. I don't ever have that kind of stuff. So in 2013, I was caddying at Macrohamish Dunes in Scotland, which is on the southwest, which is on the Kintyre Peninsula, which is as far southwest as you can go in Scotland. And it the the course borders Macrahanish old the original Macrahanish course and in fact if you look at the old maps some of what is now Macrahanish dunes was part of the Macrahanish golf course and there's a par 3 that's way 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 out on the water way out and it faces the town of Macrahanish and it's on the water and it's up against Macrahanish and the wind was blowing and what I'll do is I'll I'll send you fo- a photo of the hole that day so you can see the 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 chop on the ocean of how crazy the wind was. I decided to, nobody was playing golf. The course wasn't even open because it was too windy. So I decided to go play. I decided to go play nine holes.
0: Yeah. That's always fun. And just the heavy to go winds. do it in the wind and see yeah, what happens.
1: And I'm standing out looking at this hole and I'm just looking at the wind and watching the flag stick. Like it's going to snap. And I'm looking over at Macrahanish, and I'm looking at the town of uh, Macrahanish, old, the golf course. I'm looking at the town and I hear behind me, Hey, and I turned around and nobody was there. What? It's the only time I've ever had that in my life.
0: Like clear as day, you heard.
1: Clear as day. Like I wheeled around like somebody had snuck up on me. Like one of the, like I, I knew the superintendent at the time. Like maybe one of his guys or he had snuck out and seen me out there. And, and it was so loud and the, water, the wind was coming at me. So I couldn't hear stuff behind me. I could just hear.
0: So like it's as was if someone out. was right behind you. And right said, behind me. And like trying I'm to spook the, you.
1: And I just wheeled around. And I realized that I'm the only person on the property. I'm probably the only person on the two
0: properties. I got I to gotta ask, like, how, how does one react to that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think, I'm guessing, you know, my heart stopped beating. I didn't breathe for a while. I, yeah. went ahead, I looked around, you know, then you're like, then you start to like, do I turn back around? Who did I hear? What was this? But it was I the mean, first you time. You had
0: to give it a pretty good time. search, right? Uh, uh, I mean, you had to be looking in every direction.
1: Yeah, I can see it 360 degrees. I'm on a slightly elevated tee. There's no place you can hide where I was. And, you know, you would have had to scream it from – you couldn't have been very far away because the wind was so loud. And it freaked me out. I finished golfing, but it freaked me out.
0: Pretty informal comment. I'm guessing it came from a caddy. What's that? The the ghost, the hay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think yeah, I right, I don't know. It wasn't know, like sir, sir. Like, yeah, it was yeah, it was it, and it was a uh, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't hey how's it going kind of hey. It was like getting my attention.
0: I mean, was it like like someone might yell four as well? I mean, was it like hey, you know like 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 hey you, hey kind of. Yeah, thing. Like, interesting. You
1: know, and I was yeah, so I freaked the
0: crap out. Ooh, I got goosebumps yeah. right there. That's pretty yeah, good. That I like, guess how, if you're going to get it, yeah, Macrahan's is a pretty good place to get those goosebumps.
1: Yeah, I've, it's in Scotland. It was, it was good. So like, you know, if I had a ghost experience, it was in Scotland, which I think is better. I like it that way. It's better than if I was you know, walking down the street somewhere in Middletown, Connecticut and heard that voice.
0: Would you ever write a second book on it? Like if, if, if this podcast, for instance, um, you know, inspired people to tell their stories. I'm not writing it, by the way. That's not happening. So if they wanted to reach out to you, would you, would you consider a second book?
1: Oh, if, if again, you know, the, the real question in all of this, I, the answer is absolutely. But the real question is, is there a publisher that would want it to do that? And if there's a publisher that wants to do that and we have a, a, another, what, do we have 15 chapters in this, I would definitely, I would definitely just, you know, ch- yeah, 19 chapters. 19 chapters, how many pages? 19 chapters, 200 pages. I would, if we had enough information, I'd definitely be interested.
0: Because I think that's, you know, you open the story with, you know, your story, you know, the hay. Right? Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I, I'm just going to encourage people if you have a haunted story, uh, um, Anthony, remind me, is it Anthony Piappi at Anthony Piappi on Twitter? No. It's, it's,
1: yeah, and, at Anthony Piappi on Twitter. And my Gmail account is Anthony Piappi at Gmail.
0: At gmail.com. Yeah. So, and it's folks. at
1: Anthony Piappi on Instagram and at Anthony Piappi perfect. on Twitter So,
0: folks, if you have haunted stories, uh-huh. CC me on that because I just yes. want to hear them. I won't write it, <laughs> I won't share yeah. it. But I, I think I don't know. I think it's a a fascinating book, um, and, I, and of course we're we're in Halloween. You know, it's a perfect time of year to talk about these kind of stories in this book. Uh, you can get the uh, book by the way. Um, you can get it on Amazon. Where? What other methods do you have to get the book? The other uh, one I that, was saying was I um, don't
1: have any. I actually don't have any extra copies. I wish you you could order them for me, but I don't have any lying around. So. The best way to do that is is I'd go to your local bookstore and order it. I would say yeah. that first, and then uh, Amazon would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's also available on I don't I think it's iBooks where you can download the book. That's how I got oh, it. That's uh, good, and I think it's you know like it's a very um, cost effective purchasing. It was like thirteen dollars. I thought that was very for all yeah. the great stories in there. I, I definitely recommend you picking up that book, folks. Especially it's Halloween, and you know if anything you're walking down the 18th fairway with a friend and you share one of these stories just to spook them. You know, I like, I love those moments. I, we we recently played Prairie Dunes and this isn't a scary story, but, um, Vaughn Halyard and I, and, uh, Colton Craig played, uh, down Prairie Dunes. We played, uh, Perry's nine holes, which ends on the 18th. And we had done it after recording two podcasts. And it was, I mean, it was dark, Anthony. It was like when we hit tee shots, I believe Von Halliard made the joke like, "Well, I think you hit it." I mean, like there was yeah, yeah, you yeah. couldn't even see it come off the face, right? And we're walking down. I don't know if you know Prairie Dunes. They light up their 18th green at night, and so people sit out on the veranda and get a you know this beautiful view of Perry's uh, 18th green. And every single one of us, I think. I mean, I for sure, I, I felt like I hooked it the daylights out of it, I, mean, I was like, "This is going <laughs> to be in the fescue or in the the gr- the grunch the gunch. the gunch the gunch." Yeah, thank you. And I'm like, it's gone. But, you know, lo and behold, we find one, we find the other, and we find mine. I hit it up to like 10 feet, knock it in for birdie for an even par nine. And I'm like, I, it, listen, if I die tomorrow, my ghost might still be there. That's how right. good that was well, You'll be seeing this guy, you know, celebrating like he's Phil Mickelson when he sinks right. a birdie putt. I mean, but, you know, was, it's those moments. I,
1: I, I played that nine in order. With the former superintendent, he had never done it. When I wrote two the nine, really? I went out there to do that, and I played it in order, and he had never done it. And we went out one morning before the course was open.
0: Yeah, and, we, and we did the same fantastic. thing. Yeah, we played the original nine. So in the morning, we played the full 18, and then we played uh, Perry's nine, which is, I mean, that, how fun is that? Right? Oh, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, I mean, if that was a nine-hole golf course, I, mean, I don't know how that's not number one in my book that I've played. That is, I mean, it was just phenomenal.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's the thing with, with two, the nines we talked about is you think about the nine hole golf courses that don't exist anymore. You know, you have to think about ocean links. Absolutely. You have to think about the original nine at Rolling Rock, which they not, it's still there, but the bunkering isn't there. They took out the bunkering. And if you read to the nines, you can see the map of it, the Ross map. It's the most, it's more diagonal hazards than I, you've, you've seen on 99% of Ross golf courses. And it's fantastic, but that was a nine-hole golf course too. So, what would be the king these days is who knows? I mean, those three right there would would be in the in the running,
0: right? And so now they're ghost courses.
1: And now they're well, yeah. The problem with Rolling Rock is you can see it. Yeah, it was still fun—the fun front nine to play. I, I like the night the eighteen; it's a good golf course, but you can see where bunkers should be, and you're just like, "Wow,
0: bring those back!"
1: Yeah, I wish I would, but you know, it's not that kind of club. It's not a golf club. You know, it's a. And they won't, and that's fine. But it's a it's a fun golf course, and but you know, that that front nine at Prairie Dunes is ridiculous.
0: Oh, it's so good, so good. Well, yeah. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. I just had a delightful time. <laughs> I really did. I mean, you know, so I, but, I you know, I, I just knew this would be a fun episode. Right. I just think you know, it's just a perfect story. It, it, whether it's this time of year or if someone's listening to this in February, it's just good stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I I know. I hope people. You know, I I want people to buy the book. I don't. People, I think people have this this idea that I ma- I get paid to write the book until I make my royalties back. I don't get any more money. I'm not used to making my royalties back as far as I know. So if you buy the book, I'm not getting any money. So yeah. You're just you saying buy,
0: buy the book because it's a buy good the read.
1: Book, it's a good book. And scare the crap out of some 12-year-old. That's, That's right.
0: So the book, again, is Haunted Golf, Spirited Haunted Golf. Tales from the Rough. Yeah. And the other book was The Finest Nines.
1: Yeah, and I also want to give Chris Gonzalez, who is my co-author on this, uh, credit to you because he, he did a great job with this. He really... He really uh, brought an aspect to it that that made it I think really shine. So if we were if I were to write a second book, I would definitely want to do it with him too. Perfect. Yeah. And the, and the, the latest book is the finest nines.
0: Perfect. So folks, again, if you have haunted golf stories and they yep. are deliciously inviting for you know someone to peruse and enjoy, reach out to Anthony Piappi. We've given you given you a couple options on how to reach him and uh, yep. hopefully we get another book. Yeah. <laughs> so too it'd be fun to after write. the seth Rainer book called no i'm not even gonna go there the, i told i promised not? it too i, I promised it too i you know All i right. don't need to say a template for greatness the story of seth Rainer. i don't need to bring it up you know <laughs> did you hang up he's like yeah, i'm got of here i'm out no no i just knew it was coming <laughs> i just had that feeling <laughs> i can't help myself can't i can't help, help myself no no we can, yeah right i'm gonna talk to your publisher before it comes out because i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure right. that i'll let you do that i'm making sure that title it. makes its way Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's a pleasure as always. Thanks, man. Unfortunately, most of our haunted stories today involve those who met their end in savage ways. Perhaps the lone haunting, which appeals to us golfers, is the story of the ghosts of Lake Zurich coming home to celebrate with their fellow members of the club. If you have a haunted golf story of your own, please feel free to reach out to me and Anthony Piappi. At best, he will write another book and share your story. And at worst, we can record a second or perhaps even a third podcast to recite your golf tale of the paranormal. Let us not forget that golf is played on hallowed ground. And some of us apparently have the benefit of walking on these links for eternity. If you encounter such a haunting, tip your cap and let the spirit play through. Yours in golf history, this is Connor T. Lewis.